Friends, if you have your Bible, please turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, we're reading verses 1 to 24. And today we're finishing up our series in the book of Daniel uh, that we've been in for the past two months. And when we started the book of Daniel, we started it because we wanted to think about what it means to live a life of faithfulness as God's followers um, in a world that's not our home. And we called it faithfulness in a foreign land. And I, I really pray and hope that uh, to that end, uh, it's been encouraging and helpful to you. Um, and so we're finishing up this series in Daniel chapter 6, which is the narrative portion of Daniel, because then uh, if you're interested in what happens, uh, keep reading, and then you might also understand why we're ending it here. Um, and then next week, uh, our dear friend and brother Seth uh, will be sharing God's word with us, and so we're very excited for that. Why well, at this time, would you stand with me as your act of worship as we read and receive God's holy word from Daniel chapter 6, reading verses 1 to 24. Friends, hear now the reading of God's holy word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom three satraps could give an account, give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in the connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these, king, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, who pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. 
the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Friends, would you join me now in prayer as we begin? Um, Father, this story, it's a very famous, well-known story. So we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see uh, new things out of it, to see new truths. Lord, not that we need to invent new truths, but because every time we come to the story, we are different people in different circumstances, struggling with different things, in need of different encouragement. And so as we come to your word, would you speak to us through it? And Holy Spirit, help us to hear and to understand but not only in our minds, but in our hearts, so that it would lead to a changed life, a life of faithfulness as we live in this foreign land. We pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I read this story, if you're anything like me, you kind of visually play the story out in your mind. And so as you imagine the story, here's a question that I have for you. What does Daniel look like? What does Daniel look like in your story? And I think uh, the temptation is to imagine this young, strapping boy. He's violently thrown into a den of lions where he stands in the face of these ferocious beasts, unflinching. In the face of incredible danger, he has no fear. And although that's true to an extent... I think there's a bit of maybe the way you're imagining and envisioning the story that needs to be changed. Because when you think about what Daniel looks like, how old is he? You know, the way I grew up thinking of uh, Daniel is I imagine him to be this uh, young, muscular, well-built, athletic uh, man, kind of like, you know, one of the, the superheroes from Avengers, one of the Chris's, you know, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, all, all the Chris's. But you have to replace that picture of Daniel, because that's not accurate, with a more accurate picture, something like, Daniel looks something like Christopher Walken's. Or Christopher Lloyd. Now, the very fact that some of you have no idea who these men and actors are shows that they are not of this generation because they are much older. At the time Daniel takes place, Daniel 6 takes place, Daniel is 85 years old. 
He is not the fresh grape that entered the exile in Daniel 1. He is now aged wine who has been living in this foreign land for about 70 years. Why does that detail matter? Why am I drawing your attention to this? Because by the time we get to Daniel 6, Daniel has served in this kingdom. Uh, well, he's served at least under three different kings, and he survived the transition of two world empires, the Babylonians to the Medes. And if you're involved in politics this long, you know, you understand how to play the game. Right? Daniel's learned something about how to stay alive in the midst of political transition, political upheaval, all of this scandal. I mean, think about those who, uh, those of you who have been at your company for any amount of, of time. And you know, uh, if you've been there for a long time, sort of the inner workings of how to survive in that company, who you need to avoid, who really makes the decisions, who you need to go to in order for things to get done, who you need to avoid because you need to get things done. Daniel, he's been in the royal court 70 years. And so he's learned a thing or two about how to navigate, how to maneuver his way around the kingdom. And that's why it's so surprising when we get to our story today. And it seems that everything Daniel has learned about how to survive in the royal courts, how to survive and maintain his position in the kingdom, everything he's learned is thrown out the door. He disregards it. And he acts like he doesn't know any better. And he does the unthinkable. Because when this threat and this edict and consequences made known to him, verse 10 says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so knowing exactly what the consequence was, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering this. Couldn't Daniel have prayed in a part of his house where there were no windows? then he wouldn't have gotten caught. Couldn't Daniel have prayed in the basement, not in the, uh, not in the upstairs so that people wouldn't see him so easily? Couldn't Daniel have prayed just once instead of three times? And if he's praying three times for 10 minutes each, just prayed once for 30 minutes. And therefore lessened his risk of being caught. I mean, couldn't he have, couldn't he have, couldn't he have? In fact, maybe some of you are thinking, well, couldn't he have just not prayed for 30 days? And the answer is yes, he could have. He could have done all of those things. But he didn't. Because for Daniel, when faced with the decision to be faithful to God or not, he chose faithfulness despite what it would cost him. Now, much of this story is inspiring. This, this story can be preached in a way that, that, that makes us want to be like Daniel. To have this kind of fervor and faithfulness but an honest and mature reading of this story, it doesn't leave the reader feeling inspired. If you're really honest and you read this story, it leaves the reader feeling ashamed. Because for Daniel, the choice, the decision, it was so easy. It was such a black and white issue. Obey or not obey. There is no try. But what is often crystal clear, black and white, we want to make gray. Christians love the gray areas. We love to find the holes in things, the back door out. We love things that are ambiguous sometimes and obscure and unclear if it helps us to find an excuse to actually do what we want to do. 
would you have done as Daniel did? If you were found in Daniel's shoes, would you make the same decision? But here's the thing. That doesn't have to be a hypothetical. You don't have to wonder, if I was in Daniel's shoes, would I do the same thing? Because the reality is, every day, you are in your own shoes. And in your own shoes, aren't you faced with situations where you're called to live faithfully to God, even when there's a cost to pay, and there's a consequence for being faithful? For example, at your workplace, in your shoes, aren't there opportunities to stand up for what you believe your Christian convictions, when a, when a touchy subject comes up and everybody's sharing their opinions and you disagree, but you're staying quiet. But why? Because there's a cost to being faithful. If you speak up, what if your coworkers think you're weird or different or, or, or even worse, what if they think you're intolerant and narrow-minded? Or think about this example, another dilemma. You know that you should faithfully prepare yourself for the Lord's Day, and you should sleep early on Saturday night. You should be well-rested for Sunday morning worship so you can come and give your fullest attention to God. But of course, to be faithful in that way, it means that there is a cost to being faithful. It means you have to sleep early, and you don't get to do what you want to do. And you feel like your weekend is shortened because if you sleep earlier, Monday comes much quicker. You may miss out socially on what's happening out in the world. People are having fun without you, so you don't get to do the things you want to do. These are just two examples. But the point is that in your shoes, there are opportunities all the time where you're called to be faithful to something, but it's so hard because there's a cost to pay if you're faithful. So you don't need to ask, what would I do if I were in Daniel's shoes? All you need to ask is, what am I actually doing every day when I'm in my own shoes? And I'm faced with different decisions to make, whether I'm going to be faithful to God or not, and what that cost is. You know, I think when you see the passage this way, this story, it doesn't inspire you, dare to be like Daniel. That's not what this passage really inspires you to be. This passage, in fact, seems to scream at you, damned if you're not like Daniel. Because over and over again, we fail to live as he did, and we fail to live as we ought. So where do we go from here? Right? Is Daniel just a finger in your face accusing you of your failures? And I don't think that's what Daniel's about. Because Daniel has something to teach us as believers. Because listen, our, our inability and our struggle to be like Daniel doesn't mean we're not supposed to be like him. Does that make sense? Just because we fail to be like Daniel doesn't mean we're not supposed to be like Daniel. Because his life, it still exemplifies for us what a life of commitment and faithfulness to God living in a foreign land looks like. You know, sometimes uh, you, you may have come across these sort of tables uh, that, that, uh, or these charts that kind of lay out um, how you know if you're healthy and fit, you know, given a certain age. You, you've seen these kinds of things, right? It'll say, like, if you're within this age group, then you should be able to run a mile in this amount of time. You should be able to do this amount of uh, pull-ups or chin-ups. You should be able to do this amount of sit-ups. 
And it gives you, you know, different standards, different measurements for different age groups. And, you know, pretty much since college, I failed to meet my own target numbers in my age range. Uh, I can say I pretty successfully, I achieve uh, the goals for men in the age bracket about 20 years older than I actually am. But just because I fail to meet that number doesn't mean that I shouldn't strive to meet those numbers. Right? Your inability, your um, unsuccessful attempts to do that many sit-ups and to do that many pull-ups doesn't mean that you should stop trying to do those things. Because whether or not you can do them doesn't change the fact that if you are healthy and you are fit, you should be able to do these things. Right? In the same way, Daniel is telling us, if you are a faithful believer in God and you're living in this foreland, this is how you should live your life. It doesn't matter whether or not we are unable to do it. He's still a model for us to follow. And so with that in mind, at the risk of what people may say is moralistic preaching, I really believe you can read Daniel and you could walk away with an example of how you're supposed to live your life. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at the story and just consider two things about uh, the way Daniel lived his life in faithfulness and then uh, close with the power for how we can actually live that way. So, so what are the two things? First, being faithful in every sphere of life. And then two, being faithful in every season of life. So what we see from Daniel is that he is faithful in every sphere of life and he is faithful in every season of life. So first, Daniel was faithful in every sphere of his life. So remember this. Daniel's been in exile 70 years at this point. Right? That's almost his entire lifetime. He came over to Babylon when he was about 15. Now he's 85. So 70 years. And people, usually if, if you've been in a foreign country, a different country long enough, uh, and you're, especially if you're immersed in it, you begin adapting the customs and the practices of that country. Don't you? You know, when, when I was in high school, uh, I did a, um, a, a student uh, exchange uh, program, and I was in Honduras for about a month. Uh, and so I was there. Um, but even just being there four weeks and coming back, I had a total identity crisis. Right? Because, you know, when I came back, you know, I thought I was Honduran. I came back and told my parents, you know, when I have a daughter, I'm going to name her Consuela. <laughs> you know, and I would say things like, you Americans. <laughs> Andrew, you've been there four weeks, dude. <laughs> Chill. And yet, when you're in some country, some other place, even just for a little bit, you begin adapting some of the culture. Daniel's been in Babylon, and now Persia Mede, for 70 years. And yet, what's really interesting about Daniel is when he, people talk about him, look at how they refer to him in verse 13. Daniel, who is one of those exiles from Judah. And the point there is, Daniel still referred to, he's still considered to be one of those exiles because the way that he conducted his life was so distinct, so countercultural from everybody around him that they knew this guy, he didn't assimilate into the culture like everybody else. Right? Daniel lived in such a set-apart and holy way, it was clear he was still a Jew. He was a follower of Yahweh, Israel's God. And you take a guy like him, like Daniel, and contrast him to the biblical character Lot. You guys remember Lot? Lot is Abraham's nephew in the book of Genesis. And um, in Genesis 13, when their flock gets so big, they decide to go separate ways. This is what it says. Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Right? And so he's headed towards Sodom. He's headed in that general direction. 
And then in the next chapter, Lot is taken captive by some enemies, and there's a major battle. And, and then listen to what it says. They also, they captured, they took Lot, who was dwelling in Sodom. And what's really interesting there is, first Lot moved in that area, and then a chapter later, he's living in that city. And then you read Genesis 19, verse 1, and then it says this. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now that may not make a lot of sense to you, but in the ancient times, to sit at the gate of a city meant you were an elder, a decision maker, a leader in the city. You see, for Lot, over time, he slowly just drifted. He was living in the general vicinity of Sodom, then he was a citizen of Sodom, and now he's a councilman in Sodom. And what we begin to see is this, um, that as he drifted, there was no distinction between um, who he was, who he was called to be, and the city he was living in. And you, you, look at, you think about someone like Lot, and you think about someone like Daniel, and they stand in stark contrast. Right? Daniel lived in a set-apart kind of way. He refused to be like the world around him. But here's where it gets really interesting. Are you tracking with me? So Daniel refused to look and live like the world, and yet that did not lead him to withdraw and isolate himself from the society around him. Because when we look at the beginning part of Daniel chapter 6, what you see is Daniel wasn't uninterested and uninvolved in the welfare and the prosperity of this city. He was very much for it and a part of it. Because look at verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And what you see is Daniel, who's set apart so different from the rest of the culture, is still working for the good of King Darius and for the good of the kingdom. He is involved, not withdrawn from society. And I think a lot of Christians have this uh, misunderstanding. They think that if I'm faithful to God, that means I can't get involved in the affairs of this world. That I should withdraw from the world because the world is sinful and it's evil and it's dark and I'm of light. I'm of salt, so I need to stay away from it. When in reality, being faithful to God really means that you're faithful in every sphere and in every place he's called you to be. You may have heard that famous quote, it's um, that Christians are to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. Have you heard that? To be so heavenly minded, to be filled uh, with thoughts of heaven and God so much that we are of no earthly good. And I understand the sentiment, it's a beautiful thing to say, but... Daniel's life shows the complete opposite to be true. Because Daniel's life is saying this. Daniel's life is, hey, I'm so heavenly minded that I am of every earthly good. Because Daniel's faithfulness to God did not lessen his faithfulness in this world, his faithfulness to his work, his faithfulness to the people around him, even the unbelievers. But his faithfulness to God actually increased it and strengthened it. And this is why he came into so much favor with Darius. This is why he was so effective in the kingdom of man. Now take that and then consider for a second. Is your faithfulness to God translated into a faithfulness in every sphere of your life? Just take this for an example. How do you approach work? Your what they call secular job. And what's your attitude toward it, your, your diligence in it, your enthusiasm for it, your passion, your zeal, your vision? 
Do you work nine to five in order to collect a paycheck so that then you can be faithful to God on church on Sunday? Or do you understand that God has called you to be faithful to him in your faithfulness, even at your workplace from Monday to Friday? You know, if you live faithfully, like Daniel, can you say your company is better because of your presence there, not worse? That your team works more productively or with more integrity, more unity because you're there or not? I mean, think about being a neighbor. How do you view, how do you view being a neighbor in um, the building you live in or the cul-de-sac you're in or the development you're in? I think, are there opportunities for me to be faithful here, for me to develop good relationships and be a blessing to others? Or does God only call you to do that with other Christians and other church members? In fact, I would go so far as to say this. Is there any difference that your neighbor, right, and I would ask you to think of their names, but you may not even know their names. But is there any difference for your neighbor that they live next to a Christian who has been saved from their sin into new life and promised eternal life through the gracious work of God in their lives? Is there any difference that they live next to a Christian saved by grace than if they live next to an atheist who doesn't believe in any of that? Is there any difference? Faithfulness to God in every sphere. What about your family? When you think about faithfulness to God, do you think about faithfulness as exercised in the church and faithfulness and worship and faithfulness and personal piety and doing my QTs and devotions? Or do you see that God's call to faithfulness to him is a call to faithfulness in your family, in your household, in presence and in ministry to your kids and to your spouse? That faithfulness to God means faithfulness at the dinner table with your family and not on your phone and not going to the couch to turn on the TV or withdrawing to do your hobbies. That it means faithfully loving and serving your spouse. That it means faithfully parenting and praying for your children. You see, we got to stop separating. Faithfulness to God means faithfulness in the church and the things of church. To understand faithfulness is a faithfulness to all spheres of life. This is what God calls us to. This is what we see in the life of Daniel. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Daniel was faithful in every season of his life. Every season of his life. Right? Daniel, Daniel's faithfulness, it was consistent, whether the times were good, whether the times were bad. Right? Daniel is interesting because this guy, everything he touched, it turned into gold. Right? Remember what we learned last week? He basically uh, damns the king. He condemns him, saying that you know, you're on a broken balance. God is going to judge you. And the king says, oh, here's a golden chain. <laughs> here's purple, and now you're the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel experienced a lot of great prosperity. And so it's easy to be faithful to God when things are going well, right? Because, because if you're like me, I want to be faithful to God when things are going well. I want to be that kind of person. I want to live in gratitude. I want to live in appreciation. You, you want to be that kind of person too, I know. But look at Daniel's faithfulness in the midst of the circumstances of this story. Daniel is so hated, he's so envied by these officials, these satraps, that they are absolutely committed to bringing him down, right? So if you, re if you remember the story, what's happened, they hate him so much, they get the king to make this edict, if you pray to anybody else other than me for 30 days, you're going to die, you're going to get thrown into a den of lions. Real dark stuff. These guys hate Daniel. They want him killed. 
And yet, then consider what verse 10 says. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So not when Daniel was in ignorance and he hadn't heard word of it yet, but when Daniel was fully aware of the situation, he was fully aware of the consequences. Daniel, knowing that these guys are trying to trap him, he knows the punishment. What does it say? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, you can't miss that last phrase, as he had done previously, because that last phrase changes everything about how you understand that first sentence. You can't ignore it because it colors everything it says, right? If you ask somebody out on a date, hey, will you go out with me? And they say, they say, I'll go out with you. Maybe. You know, that word maybe is the most important part of that sentence. You can't just hear the first part. <laughs> I'll go out with you, maybe. Well, then you take the maybe and you reinterpret, I'll go out with you. It means something different. When Daniel, it says, Daniel heard about this punishment. He heard about the consequences. Then he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. That would make it seem like Daniel said, oh, this king, oh, he gave an edict? Well, I'll show him. And he goes up and he marches up to wherever his biggest window is and he starts praying. That's not what he does. Daniel's prayer isn't done in rebellion or response to what the king has decreed. Rather, it says, he prayed as he had previously done. What does that mean? It means Daniel always did this. This was Daniel's daily practice. That this situation didn't produce Daniel's faithfulness. This situation revealed Daniel's faithfulness. His faithfulness was already there. It was present in every season. Because when nobody was looking, Daniel prayed faithfully. And then when everybody was looking, Daniel prayed faithfully. Daniel was faithful when nothing was at stake, and so he was faithful when everything was at stake. He was faithful when his life was safe and secure. He was faithful when his life was being threatened and terrorized. You see, Daniel's faithfulness was consistent regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the consequences because he committed himself to God even in the good times. And therefore, his faithfulness was, not expo- or was exposed, not produced. Hey, look at the story. Why did he pray facing uh, Jerusalem? Because he always prayed facing Jerusalem. Why did he pray in the upper chamber? Because he always prayed in the upper chamber. Why did he pray three times a day? Because he always prayed three times a day. Without the habit of daily faithfulness in the small things, you won't have the discipline or the stamina to be faithful to God in the big things. Right? If I can't even practice faithfully giving God thanks when things are going well, how in the world do I expect to be faithful in giving God thanks when things are not going well? Friends, are you faithful to God only when it's convenient for you or comfortable for you? Or are you able to be faithful even when it costs you something, when there's a consequence, when it hurts a little, when it's a little difficult? In order to prepare for faithfulness in the hard and harsh seasons, we need to practice faithfulness daily. But here we go. We have two examples, two models, or or two ways to be faithful. Faithful in every sphere, faithful in every season. But how do we get there? How do we get there? How can we become these kinds of people? And this is where you need to understand, although Daniel 6 gives you a picture of faithfulness, 
it also gives you the power unto faithfulness. You see, Daniel 6 doesn't just give you a model for faithfulness, it gives you the motivation for faithfulness. Because it's not just what we should be like, but it tells us how we can be like this. You see, you need to understand, Daniel 6 is here in the Bible, yes, for the original readers, but Daniel also foreshadows another story. Because Daniel is pointing to somebody else, one who is better and greater than he is. And the connections are all throughout the story that they are not there by mistake or happenstance. You see, just like Daniel, Jesus was despised by his enemies who determined to bring him down because of his success and because of his faithfulness. Just like Daniel, Jesus was brought before a ruler who wanted to deliver him but was utterly powerless to do so, and so he handed him over to certain death. Just like Daniel, Jesus was sentenced to die and was placed in a type of pit that was sealed so that the only deliverance would be through God's divine intervention. Just like Daniel, just like Daniel. Except here's where the story departs, and herein lies the transforming power of the gospel. Unlike Daniel, Jesus wasn't visited by an angel to be comforted in his great moment of despair, but Jesus was met with silence in his most agonizing hour. And whereas Daniel was spared from the mouth of lions, Jesus fell under the crushing bite of death when he was crucified on the cross on behalf of guilty sinners, sinners like you and me. But consider this. Daniel was spared, although he was faithful and righteous before God, but Jesus Christ, who was far more righteous, far more innocent than Daniel, he did not experience the same fate and deliverance as Daniel. In fact, you look at the end of Jesus' story, whose fate is Jesus' fate similar to? Because it's certainly not Daniel's. And if you look closely at verse 24, we see Jesus suffered the same fate as those who were guilty, as those wicked people who sought to take Daniel's life. They were thrown into the den, they were overpowered, and they were crushed. Why is Jesus' fate similar to those who are guilty? Because Jesus came into the world, and he lived a perfectly faithful life, and he died a perfectly faithful death so that those of us who are guilty of sin, who deserve to be crushed in death so that we could be saved and delivered. Jesus came and he took the fate of the guilty one so that we who were guilty would share the fate of the innocent one. You know what this means for you? It means Jesus Christ showed his faithful love, his faithful sacrifice, his faithful commitment to you. And that is actually the starting point. The starting point is not, I want to be like Daniel. The starting point is, I've been delivered like Daniel, although I deserve the fate of the guilty. You can only begin to reflect faithfulness to God when you've first received and experienced His faithfulness to you. 
Right? Faithfulness to God in every sphere and in every season, it doesn't result from looking inwardly at yourself and trying to produce that which you do not have. But faithfulness in you is produced only as you look upwardly and receive what God is producing in you. You see, when you're driving and the, uh, the fuel light comes on, what do you do? You go to the next gas station, you make your way toward the source of fuel, the place that is full of fuel, and you fill up. How many of you, when that light comes on, pull over onto the side of the road, open the gas tank, and you stare deeply into it? There's nothing in there. It's empty. You need to go to the source. The power to live faithfully in a foreign land doesn't come when you look inwardly and try to muster up your own faithfulness. It's not there. It cannot be found there. You are empty. But it comes when you remember God's faithfulness to you. You go to the one who is full of faithfulness. Because it's his faithfulness that covers your unfaithfulness. And it's his faithfulness that changes your unfaithfulness. Because the power to change doesn't come from the good advice. Dare to be like Daniel. The power to change comes from the good news. You've been delivered just like Daniel. You friends, you were delivered just like Daniel by the greater Daniel. So now you can live in the same faithfulness as Daniel. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that your word comes to us, uh, us, Lord, it comes both as a help and a guide, teaching us how to navigate life, what you're calling us to do. But if it was only that, then we would be crushed under the expectation and the weight of all that we can't do and all that we fail to do. But we're thankful that your word also comes to us, giving us hope and promise and power transformative grace. I pray for my friends here, Lord, myself included, that as we continue to live life here in this foreign land, as sojourners, exiles in a home that is not our home, that you would, by your grace, empower in us a faithfulness to live holy and set apart for you, but that does not mean we withdraw from the world, but we would be a blessing wherever you sent us. And pray that you would do that for our church. That whether we are here in 50 years or not, that the community could say about us as a church, we disagreed with them, but we are so glad that they were here. I pray that same exact truth for each individual member of this church, that wherever you've placed them, in their schools, in their classrooms, in their workplaces, in their offices, in their neighborhoods, in the same karate dojos, in the community centers, in the YMCA, wherever you placed each and every single person that those would say about them. I disagreed with what they said, but I was sure glad they were here. Lord, work that faithfulness in us by your grace. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People of God, receive now the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love and faithfulness of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. Amen. Would you hear the words of dismissal? 
Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, dear friends.